You're listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Forge Leadership Network mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives ages 18 to 25, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. For more information or to get involved with Forge, visit forgeleadership.org. One of our students asked, how successful can we be in forming a secular argument in favor of traditional gender values? Does that ultimately fall apart without a Christian worldview? Yeah, that's a that, that's a good question. I think um, the way I would, um, it, 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 as always, you kind of got to define the terms. It depends on what you mean by a secular argument in a Christian worldview. I think you can make um, irreligious arguments that appeal to a secular slash rational mind, though I don't necessarily think those are, I think those can be mutually exclusive, um, but secular thinkers like to think of themselves as rational, and um, I think you, you run into problems pretty quickly if you go very far down that trail. But um, the, for me, the, the best argument that can be secular, though appeals to natural law and, and design and truth, is, is one from – it's an argument from design and from nature, and the idea, and you can use any analogy, is I'm, I'm sitting here in my office. In my office, there's a chair and a table. And ask people, what are those, and what makes them those things? And are they the same, or are they different? And how are they similar? And do those differences matter in any way? And most people would probably concede that while a chair and a table may both have four legs and a relatively flat surface, they're designed differently, and that difference is purposeful and material, which means if you try to use your table as a chair, eventually you're going to run into problems that you wouldn't have run into if you tried to use your chair as a chair and your table as a table, because they're designed in different ways. And of course, behind that, you're assuming intelligence and you're assuming purpose in the design, which does come from our worldview, but you don't have to share our theology and our belief in, you know, in sin and the depravity of man and redemption in order to understand that things are created differently and they, they, they are designed differently in ways that matter and significantly the degree to which we honor the design will determine whether that thing or we as people flourish in our existence. And a, a chair, though it is, though it is, it is an inanimate object, um, if it knew that it was being used as a table, would become frustrated, especially if you used it as a hammer or for some other purpose that it wasn't created for. And that's the same that's true of people and communities. Now, when it comes to the secular argument for gender roles, I think we should understand what people who are offended by gender roles are often offended by, and, and, and what they are often reacting to is what they perceive to be as this very rigid concept that all women must behave one way and all men must behave one way. And that is typically the stereotype that they're reacting to. Of course, there's a lot of common ground that we can have with people recognizing that God created everyone differently and uniquely and he gave us different talents and different gifts. And I don't think, I don't know anyone, and I am assuming this call doesn't have people who believe that all men are supposed to behave in every case in one particular way and only men can like cars and only men can, you know, like sports and women must love cooking and cleaning and men cannot like those things and in the same way women cannot like, you know, outdoor pursuits. 
Um, I don't think any of us probably believe those things. And certainly there are there are things that are more more common among men generally and more common among women generally, which we would say is a function of their nature, but in no way requires all men and all women to behave in, in a similar way. So I think you'll find, um, and what I have found, um, is that people who really react negatively to gender stereotypes and like traditional gender roles are reacting to a caricature of gender stereotypes and gender roles that oftentimes are frankly abusive, um, where you know all men are supposed to be sexually dominant and all women are supposed to be submissive, and it ends up creating this rape culture. And to the degree that's what they mean, we would all agree that's a terrible thing to say. We don't think men should be dominant, especially sexually, and we don't think women should just be submissive and do what they're told. And oftentimes that's what they're reacting to. Joseph, what um, what, can let's let's uh, let's hone in. That's excellent, excellent food for thought, excellent um, response. Um, unless I tell you otherwise, these are all excellent responses. It'll take us time. But I'm very affirming, and it'll take a lot of time if I do this after every question. Um, yes. But uh, let me ask you a couple. Um, I just rethought this. Let me ask you a couple just basic questions so that we establish. Kind of definition of, of terms, right? As, as, as much as we yeah. can. Um, what what would you how 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 should we go about understanding what it means to be transgender? Um, you might want to. You're, you're welcome to take that and, and talk about like you know defining gender in general. Um, yeah. Then obviously a different question is what does it mean to be transgender? And let's just let's start on a, a couple questions like that. Thanks. Sorry. Yeah, that, that is that is important in the in the whole conversation, especially because this whole thing has has really been hijacked in the last 24 months. Um, transgenderism historically is associated with gender dysphoria, and that and 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 again, I'm I'm a lawyer. I'm not a shrink. So the, the my depth of knowledge on this is is about a quarter of an inch deep. So I'm not really an expert on the, the, psycho- the psychology behind this. But transgenderism is a real phenomenon associated with gender dysphoria, which is gender identity disorder until 2014 or 13, and then they didn't like calling it a disorder anymore. Um, but there are people, it is a very small number of the population, but there are people who experience real mental distress, feeling like they're, uh, they were born into the wrong body is how they often describe that, where they have a brain of one gender and a body of a different gender. They're misaligned, and therefore we need to get them into alignment, and the way they want to get them into alignment is by changing their body or at least their appearance and the way they present themselves to the world. So that is historically what they refer to as transgenderism, and I accept that as a definition of it. The problem that we have is in in recent not i mean it's it's become really part of the consciousness of the public in recent months but this the in pursuit of take, tearing down gender stereotypes they have introduced the idea that there are literally an infinite number of genders and you will hear people make that argument um you know facebook has like 56 or something but they will make the argument there are an infinite number of genders um and, and the way they see that is Gender, uh, where it's it, rather than a binary, where you're you know a box that you check one or the other, it's basically like it, it's a, it's a um, it, it's a spectrum where you basically have hot and cold, 
And like, just like a faucet, you have very cold water, you have very hot water, and then you have a whole range of temperatures in between, and a theoretically infinite number of temperatures or degrees that you could pick, and each one of those is its own gender. And they have even encouraged people in schools to start thinking about themselves as a percentage of either gender. So I know parents who have told me that their kid came home from some camp and told them, yeah, I think I'm about 60% male and about 40% female, which is, which doesn't make any sense biologically, but that's the way they're thinking about gender. So we are seeing a rise in, in people who are, who are describing themselves as transgender that has nothing to do with gender dysphoria becoming more common. It, it, with this larger assault on transgenderism and the way they are explaining gender, their kids are deciding, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm not quite as masculine. I don't, I don't scratch myself and spit as much as Uncle Hank, so I guess I'm not as masculine as he is. Therefore, I might, must be some percentage feminine. And so they begin to think of themselves as transgender because they like to cook or they like artsy things or whatever that is. And that's not in line with the stereotype of masculinity that they have been presented. So they will begin to claim to be transgender, even though there is no gender dysphoria. So this, you're going to see, and we are seeing, a spike in, tra- in, in, in especially young people who claim to be transgender that is totally arbitrary just because of the way that people are now talking about gender as you can be any kind of any infinite number of gender unless you consider yourself to be 100% male or 100% female, you are um, somewhere on the spectrum of transgenderism. Hey, uh, um, I've got, I got a follow-up question for you. Yeah. Um, follow-up question to that would be, um, so, so, we, you know, we believe that um, you know, we're created in God's image and God creates us certain ways. And with with you being gay, with homosexuality, with that with that lean, um, we believe as Christians that we have we have tend there are, there are certain tendencies towards those type of things. But as Christians, we don't act out on those because we see them as um, as wrong. Now, my question is with transgenderism is. Is there a – is it – do you think the fact that we're seeing so much of this where people are confused is a product of of the generation, of the times that we're in, or where is this all coming from, I guess, is my question. Well, that's a, that's a really good question, and I um, – where it's coming from, there's a political answer to that, there's a spiritual answer to that, and I think there's probably a a, a cultural answer to that. And, and, you know, and politically, the reason this became an issue is because after the Obergefell decision on marriage, the left needed a new they needed a new victim class, and so there was this entire industry mm-hmm. that had focused on same-sex marriage and redefining marriage. Once they accomplished that, they needed another cause celeb, and the gender issue is the one they selected. Um, Culture, where, culturally, where this is coming from, and I refer to the gender stereotypes. And if, if you go, if you bother, and if you ever have any interest in, in watching the Gender Revolution series that I that I put that I put on, I pull out of the curriculum where they describe very specifically, from their perspective, the reason why we need to eliminate gender stereotypes is because they believe that gender stereotypes are the are the root and singular cause of sexual violence. 
and that's the stated purpose of why we must get rid of the gender binary because men who because the idea that all men are sexually aggressive and all women are sexually submissive is what's creating this creating this um you know this culture of sexual violence and as soon as we get rid of that then men won't be ag- aggressive women won't be submissive and we will have no more rape and sexual violence is essentially that the argument they are making now i think it's it is uh it's difficult to defend the basis of that but that is the stated objective at least in the sexual ed- education curriculum um that was created in king county which is where seattle is and in being propagated all over washington state and other parts of the country as well is that is the stated reason for why they want to do this. What I think probably the more significant underlying reason is, is this is just a continuation of the of the assault on boundaries and rules in general. Is Ever since Genesis 3, we have not wanted anybody to tell us what to do. We want to be like God, knowing good and evil for ourselves, and gender and this idea that I am confined in some way by my, at, at birth by who I was created to be and what my gender is is just offensive to be is, is offensive to our flesh and so I think that actually um, explains mostly where this is coming from because if we eliminate male and female and in, in, in those as meaningful factors and variables in our lives then we further elevate this idea that we get to be whatever we want to be and we determine that for ourselves exclusively and that's kind of what our flesh wants I'm sorry Joseph uh, yeah yeah very very helpful are there any other kind of baselines or foundations that you would like to play out right now as we as we get into the more, um, I know students have great questions, um, but a lot of them are more um, detailed or, or, or more complex. And are there any other baseline things that you wanted to um, hit on I, to establish? Nothing, maybe, but nothing going? that's immediately coming to mind. And, and if they, and I'll, no, I think we can proceed. I think okay. I think the definitions there are are super important of what we're talking about. And I think most of the time you're talking about transgenderism, you're not actually talking to kids who experience gender dysphoria. They're just very confused now by adults. Uh, sorry, say that again. I said most of the time when you're talking about transgenderism now, you're not actually talking about kids who are really sincerely con- experiencing gender dysphoria. They've just been confused by adults. Hmm. So how is that a is that a – how does someone – I mean, what do you think the percentages are on that? Do you think that – Oh, you, uh, or, I mean, yeah, I'd just be – if, if I guessed at numbers, I'd just be pulling things out of the air. Yeah. You know, I think the, the number of the public that's who actually experiences yeah. gender dysphoria is like one-tenth of one percent. That's right, yeah. And also remember mm-hmm. that their own data tells you that about 80 to 90 percent of – minors who experience gender dysphoria will eventually outgrow it. And that fact is one of the reasons why the rush to transition, now we're seeing six-year-olds, nine-year-olds, is just, in my my opinion, abusive. Um, But people who are served by that are are the adults who could then use those children as pawns in their kind of political, cultural power play. And and Joseph, you you touched on this. What is you touched on what's kind of driving the new gender theory? I know that's a a bit of a um, specific term. I've heard it described as that this whole idea of um, you know the, the 
27 or 31, um, you know, different letters of, of orientations and, you know, sexual attractions and genders and all these things. Um, what is the, the I, I, you know, I know there, there, there's the fundamental flaw that all of these, all of these letters or all of these um, designations all still play off of the actual two genders, right? They all, they're all still defining themselves based, you know, they're, they're, they're self-contradictory in that they define themselves based off of the relation to the gender, right? And um, in, in, in that um, we're talking about, you know, men who are attracted to men or women who are attracted to women or, um, you know, transgender men who, who believe they are, are women or women who believe they are men, right? Or, or uh, you know, people who are attracted to both men and women, right? There's In, in all of those, you know, LGBT um, that I've just described, none of those have invented an actual new gender. They're just so right. I mean, that's, is that the is that the fatal flaw of that of that logic, or is there is there a deeper? Oh. Well, there's so many flaws in the in in the logic. I mean, the whole idea of, I mean, it, it, you can't be born into the wrong body if there's no such thing as a male or female body. And on one hand, they're mm. going to tell you that you know there's you know that your anatomy has nothing to do with your gender. Well, then why are you trying to switch genders? It's a, it, those are, those are logically inconsistent positions. And, you know, and within the larger LGBT movement, the whole thing is, it, it, it's, it's broken on so many levels, logically. I mean, we just got done talking about how sexual orientation is innate and immutable, and it's a, it's this fixed part of yourself. Why can you, how, how is it that your sexual orientation is unchangeable and immutable, and you're born that way and it don't have a change, but you're, Gender is something that can be fluid and change with, you know, the wind, presumably, and what, and what your mood is that day. And how can you have a sexual orientation if there's no such thing as a male or female body? Yeah. If hmm. your anatomy yeah, is not attra- attached to your sex, then how in the world can I be attached to men or women? Because I can't possibly know what a man or a woman is until I ask them. Yeah. And, and so, but, but again... They don't care about being logical because the goal here is not to be logical because they're not seeking what is true. They're trying to make arguments that are allowing them to conquer turf in that moment. And once that turf is conquered, they will, they will make totally new arguments that may, have con- that may contradict the arguments they just got done making if they need to to conquer the next ground that they are going after. So these are not these are not folks looking for consistency in an abiding thread of truth that governs their life. They'll say what they need to say now, and they'll say what they need to say tomorrow, and you know whatever it is. And that those may just not be consistent. Joseph, so how does that how do those arguments progress? So my guess is my guess is first and foremost like sexual orientation, and then and then from there it just proceeds, right? I mean like they're kind of building on the foundation that overfell. Uh, basically legitimized. Um, what what are the next what are the next arguments? Like, how does this progress in a society? Um, you know, we're in Ohio, you're in Washington. Yeah. I'm sure you're probably ten steps down the road than we are, and probably most mm-hmm. of the other people on this call. You're, you're probably ten steps down the road. How how, how what do you see? What what are the well, you know, it's a good question. I mean, we have. There are, when it comes to the identity movement, there are many, many, many um, identities beyond gender identity that people are claiming. You have other kin 
which is a community of people who believe that they are a different species. And if you want to Google them and get in part of their community, you can. Um, we saw this week another a, a series of articles circulating about a guy who um, believes he's a different ethnicity. He's a white dude who thinks he's a Filipino woman. And, um, and he's trying to be taken very seriously in, in that crusade. And I think when it comes to uh, the erasure of boundaries and sexual liberation, um, you're going to see that right now it, the parliament in France is debating whether to lower the age of consent to 13 so that no. it is no longer statutory rape to engage automatically rape to engage in sexual activity with a 13-year-old. And all of this is consistent with the um, with the the theme of the left on all matters of I get to do whatever I want to do as long as it makes me happy and the people involved are consenting. And it is, yep. it's, the, it's the worship of self, and there is, there is no, the eye is never satisfied, there is no limit to what humanity can, can desire and want to please itself. And what we know about our flesh is it will never, ever, ever be satisfied. And so this... This train has no end until you're dead. Until everybody, until whatever a toast is, it will kill unless the virus is killed. Joseph, with that, with that, where does that? So, where? What lines are? What lines are? Um, what lines are being drawn? Um, you know, as suspicious as we may be of of, of the lines in. You know, drawn in pencil or whatever. Um, from yeah. our from our, our friends on the left, where are they drawing the lines right now? With what is, gosh, um, I mean, I guess the question of what is moral, but but also the question of of, of what is um, legal. Is it is it all based on consent? And then and then where does that? I mean, I, they're obviously the Man Boy Love Affair website, and there's, there's those there's the groups advocating against yeah. consent with that, but domestically. But they're also, as you said, it sounds like. Abroad, it's, it's progressing even even in, even quicker or regressing, right? Um, should should where is the is the kind of the, the unsaid, you know, agreed upon compromise consent right now? And and how does and, and how how strong is yes. that going to be? I I think right okay. now it's it's okay. simply a matter of consent, and okay. I mean and and the, and the, and if that's all that matters, if you're if the basis of your of your moral view of, of, of morality is simply consent. I mean, I do know, I know plenty of 14-year-olds who are more mature than a lot of 25-year-olds I know. That's the fact. And so if we're going to, and, and so if, if we believe that it doesn't matter, and, and that just making sure that people are able to do the things that make them happy to the extent that they're, you know, that they are mentally aware enough to make those decisions for, for themselves, if that's our foundation, then, yeah, you're going to continue to see that kind of stuff yeah. continue to, you know, deteriorate because we don't like people telling us no. And and that's yeah. really what we're at war with is any idea is, – is anybody saying no? It's not okay. Well, and, and do you see something that – I mean, this this doesn't – this is a grim. This seems like a grim prospect, right? Um, and this seems like a grim prospect, like you said. Uh, you know, desires of, of human beings are, uh, you know, insatiable, and they'll find, you know, more and more, you know, things and in, 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 in to, to seek, you know, after for self fulfillment 
and or or, or, or lust or whatever you want to whatever yeah. you want to call it. Does it uh, does anything does anything turn this tide in terms of a culture? Like does it when a culture well, sure. goes down this road? Does it? Yeah, no, that that that, that, that path that I don't think that path is inevitable. Yeah. But that is that is the path. I mean, it, it, it it's a path that ultimately leads to self destruction, and that is that is ultimately what you know Satan exists to do is destroy us and, and declare war with us. And he's been using our flesh to try to do that for a long time, and Roy Moore is figuring it out this week. Um, mm, yeah. But this yeah. is. Well, but but this is this is not inevitable. But what I think needs to happen is for the church to understand where it's coming from and why it's serious. Because the argument that they're always coming back with is, oh, well, why do you want to interfere with my fun? Why, why do you want to ruin my life? Don't, and, and the way that the culture is telling people to love them is to just affirm everything that they want to do because that's what makes them happy. And we prove we're good people by affirming the things that they believe make them happy. And we need to understand why that's not actually loving. Because we can, and, and the thing is, if we, if, we take, if we have the ability and the courage to form the response and explain to them why this is not actually good for you, and why if everybody does this, this leads to a world none of us wants to live in, it actually resonates with a significant percentage of the population. But the reason we seem to be losing on these things right now is because we're just doing a very bad job of making the argument, and particularly when it comes to conviction, the other side believes the lie with a great deal more conviction than we believe the truth. And most people Mm. just join whatever movement seems to be winning because they want to be on the side of what's popular. And and I I saw a study yesterday, or a survey, that 44% of the public believes that your sex has nothing to do with your gender. 44%. 44%. If you'd asked that, oh if you'd have given that same poll question two years ago, it would have been less than 10%. But think about how quickly, and, and of course the super majority of them are, are, are progressives who are on the left of the political spectrum, and, and their tribe just decided to adopt this idea that this is true, and everybody said, okay, this is what we do, this is how we prove we're good people. And of course it's, it, it's suicidal hedonism. But they will embrace it until they hear a better alternative. And when the, pe- when the people who are capable of making a who, – uh, who actually know why it's not true refuse to make the argument for why it's not true, that only bolsters their conviction that that's the only side that's even making an argument, yeah. so they must be right. So in terms of making but, that argument, in terms of making the better case yeah. – oh, sorry, go ahead. Complete your thought. No, go ahead. Yeah. So in terms of making that better case, is it a matter of us – all learning, you know, the best messaging and, and new messaging, these things, or is it simply people saying, or is it simply to use the old fable that you're, that, or the old story that you're, uh, that you like to quote, you know, is it, is, it, is it simply everyday people having the courage to say, uh, the emperor has no clothes right yeah. now? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it simply that, or is it that we, we need to find ways to be able to, you know, well, we do need to be able to say more than that. I think that is the start, yes, because there's a lot of people who look at this, and, and, and on some level they realize it's ridiculous, but when they don't see another argument being made, it's like, well, maybe this is true. Maybe I'm just – I hadn't figured it out. So it's not it, – I mean, you want to – when we make a response, we want to be able to do so in, a, in, a, in an intelligent way and in a kind way. 
because ultimately, if you, even if you you don't win the argument if you lose the people, so the argument does need to be way, made in a way that shows that we've one understand them and two care about them. That that's really important. Um, but Joseph, that it'll Joseph, resonate with Joseph, yeah, yeah, jo- Joseph. So, so my credit with, with with the gay marriage argument, what seemed to happen was it quickly pushed into the political realm and into the policy realm. And it, 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 and because it was pushed so much into the political realm, what happened was it became we are going to use the government to keep you from being quote unquote happy, right, and living the life you want to lead. Not, not, hey, we care about you, and this lifestyle is destructive. Mm-hmm. It, the question: How do we, how do we make this argument in the public square? Um, effectively, and not just relegate it to the to the realm of politics. Does that, does that hopefully that makes sense? But like, no, it, it does make sense. But I don't think that's a choice that we were given because we didn't start this whole argument. The other side did, yeah. and they started it in the political realm on purpose. And so I agree with you that it would be it would be advantageous to us if this if this entire debate was taking place on the editorial pages of newspapers and in, you know, in city halls and in public parks where we're just talking about it. But that is not the world that we're presented with. If, if, that, if that was the case, we would have churches engaged. In our, we, we just discovered, and we just got through another campaign here in 2017, of the 4,000 Bible-believing churches in Washington State, we know of 51 that we're willing to publicly stand up on behalf of God's understanding of gender. And those are the oh ones that gosh. actually that, those are the ones that actually believe the Bible. That doesn't that we've already wow. eliminated from our universe the ones who are kind of unitarians and and otherwise heretics. Of the ones that believe the Bible, less than 2% are willing to publicly say what they know God thinks. And so and that is entirely a function of the fact that this is taking place in a political environment. So they're but, so they're they're afraid. Are they afraid, or they just don't know how to speak about this, or they're just like at not yes. our not our field. Yeah, there, there's lots of reasons. I mean, that, that's a long conversation about why, and I don't think there's one answer to that question. Um, but that's just what it is, and I am very confident that if it was just taking if if the conversation was taking place outside of a political environment. People who know the truth would be much more likely to speak about it, but that's not the world that we have been presented with, and that's not the world in which God has placed us in. And and so the question is, for me, is do are we going to back away from the entire debate because we don't like the room that the debate is taking place in, or are we just going to live as ambassadors for Christ and recognize that when somebody asks a question to me, and I think we saw really, you know, I'm going to give the answer, and I think we saw a great example of this with Carl Lentz on The View. Who's the yeah. pastor of Hillsong? We saw this. I, I didn't assume some of the folks here saw this. Yeah. But yeah. he was on TV. He was clearly yeah. trying to build bridges, and he wasn't trying to go in there being a, a cultural crusader. But the first thing they asked him, so he didn't bring it up. He didn't have an abortion is murder T-shirt on. We all probably would agree that that's kind of in your face and kind of offensive. But they asked him a very direct question about what God thinks, and he refused to answer the question because he didn't think they would like their response. And I think that is a 
perfect illustration of how the church, the larger church in America is dealing with the culture is we go out of our way not to be offensive, but now we refuse to answer the question even when they ask us directly because we want them to like us more than we want to just represent what God has said is true. Thank you for listening to the Ford's Leadership Podcast. If you like the show, drop a review in our podcast app and be sure to subscribe for all the latest updates. You can follow Ford's Leadership Network at Ford's Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about Forge programming, visit fordsleadership.org.